Hello, frazzled women. Welcome to Le Vital Course Salon, the virtual lounge for frazzled type A's, imposters, and activity addicts. I'm your host and salonier, Kara Martin-Snyder. Heads up, this podcast features adult women having adult and sometimes potty-mouthed conversation. If you have little ones or folks who won't pardon this kind of French around, please plug in your headphones now. Each episode, my job is to introduce you to a modern woman leaving their unique stain on the world without letting bullshit or burnout slow them down. Hey, frazzled women. So glad you're here today and get to listen in on a conversation that I had recently with Nicole Barcelona. So for those of you who don't know Nicole, let me just say she is one of the warmest, most genuine, hardworking women in the music industry if I ever saw one. When she's not kicking ass in the music industry, she is doing some incredible volunteer work and creating networks of support and connecting women through her work at her own project, Mommy Interrupted, which is now a national project, and also through her work on the advisory board for the Massachusetts Center for SIDS. So she is all about women, all about support, all about connecting, and really someone emblematic of what Vital Core is all about literally creating a vital core. And so instead of me blathering on, Nicole is going to talk about all of the different things she does, and I'm going to have a bunch of questions. And without any further ado, here's our conversation. So hey, Nicole, thank you for being here today. My pleasure. And Nicole, you are one seriously hardworking woman. My husband, Craig, has known you and your artist management and consulting company, 525 Entertainment and Everyday Rebellion Records, for years and has wanted to connect us. And we finally got to meet earlier this year in Nashville. (laughs) I know, right? It was way overdue. It was so overdue and so fun. And that was, you know, it was fun to see you in action, too, because, I mean, I got to meet you at an amazing event you threw on behalf of Women in Music. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So it was it was kind of cool to see you, you know, in your hive. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> and and then just for, for people listening, you know, outside of music, you've created Mommy Interrupted to support women and families facing reproductive challenges and loss. Yeah. And you've also somehow managed to find time to serve on the advisory board for the Massachusetts Center for SIDS. Yes. I, I think I have most of you, most of what keeps you out of trouble. Is there, <laughs> I guess, one, is there anything that I'm missing? And then two, you know, you wear so many hats. Maybe for the sake of the listeners, you could share a little bit more context about each of these roles. Absolutely. So, um, the only other thing I can think of is actually the, the Women in Music Board, which I also serve on, which um, is a fantastic organization and has really helped me since I went out on my own um, in the business without kind of a company behind me with infrastructure. And I joined Women in Music in 2012, I want to say. Um, and it's a great education and advocacy and support group um, for women in the music industry, basically to share resources and uh, that's how I found a lot of my my team in my new business. Um, I think I, I think I first 
joined the organization and like reached out to the Google group to say, does anyone have any recommendations for entertainment attorneys? It was like the first week I started my own company and I needed to like get paperwork in order <laughs> and figure out what the hell I was doing. And uh, I heard back from a couple people and one of them is the VP of Women in Music Now, uh, Jennifer Newman Sharp, and she's my attorney and a dear friend. And um, that's been a relationship that I started like from day one and has carried through. And I serve on the board with her now and some other incredible women. Um, so if anyone is in the entertainment business, definitely I suggest going to womeninmusic.org because we have some great resources. And it's a great place, especially when you like are in the middle of something, if you're working independently and I'm not quite sure what you're doing and you can just reach out and say like, Hey, is anyone in music publishing? Cause I'm about to get on a call and try to negotiate a contract for a client, but like, I'm not actually sure what I'm talking about. Um, so that's been a really great resource for me over the years. And it's just a great group of men and women, um, who are in the industry and we share all kinds of stuff and a lot of job opportunities as well come up in that group, which is really nice. That's amazing. So is it I know I met you at the Nashville event. You're in yes. Boston. So it's, an, it's a national group, but are there different chapters around the country? Yeah, it's really exciting. We actually just started launching new chapters in the last year or two. Um, so we're based out of New York. And then I moved to Boston, and there were no resources here that I could find for the music industry just because it doesn't really exist here, um, so to speak, outside of New York and Nashville and L.A. and those hubs. So it's much harder to kind of gather together resources so we launched the Boston chapter here last year. And then Nashville, we launched um, last year at that event that I saw you at, at City Winery in Nashville for uh, the Music Business Association Conference, just because I was going to be down there and I thought it would be a good time to do it. Um, and certainly in Nashville, it's easier because there are tons of people in the industry. Um, so yeah, especially if you great... want to know about music publishing. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> So that was really fun. And um, we have this incredible president on board, Jessica Sobraj, and she came on as president, I think about a year, year and a half ago. And um, since she came on, we've just really focused on expansion a lot. She actually started a chapter down in the Caribbean as well, I believe in Barbados. And she went down there to find out what was going on with women in the industry in the Caribbean. And it turns out it's just like shocking how few resources there are and shocking what women have to do to uh, get fair treatment in the, in the industry in a lot of Caribbean islands. And so she went down and found a sponsor. Um, there's a bank sponsoring our chapter down there now and just offering incredible resources to women who were really giving up a lot in terms of ownership and, and making a lot of personal sacrifices for resources in the industry down there. So there's just amazing things going on. We have some chapters gearing up internationally and other places too. So it's an exciting time. And you know, hopefully the goal is to kind of connect the dots everywhere. So one of my interns who's in Nashville, you know, hopefully when she graduates next year, she'll have a whole myriad of resources to get a job, whether it's in LA or New York or in Europe or wherever she wants to go. And that's kind of the hope is that we can keep providing these opportunities for young women so that we have more women in the industry and more women rising up to executive positions. So it's not uh, quite so male dominated at the highest levels anymore. Wow. That's amazing, Nicole. Like, I knew yeah. that kept you pretty busy, but I don't think I realized the extent and and how fast it was growing. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. The great thing about Jess, who's our president, is she just, like, says, what's your idea? Okay, run with it. Let me know what you need from me. And that's been really <laughs> amazing because then we're able to say, like, okay, we want to do this event here. And um, our L.A. chapter recently launched with a great event out in L.A. And it's just really exciting. It's an exciting time to be in the organization for sure. And 
Jess is, uh, she's a great leader. So it's been a lot of fun and it's great. Cause like we get to go to conferences and we have our own people there who we know, like the first year I went to South by Southwest when I was on my own, I wasn't working for Steven anymore. I was like, I don't know anybody like, <laughs> like outside of that tiny little niche. Like I, I was like, there are thousands of people here and like, I need to connect with people so that I can network and grab lunch with someone, you know, just like kind of use every minute I can to the best of my ability. And so I connected with women in music down there and it turns out like we throw an event at conferences. So you, you automatically walk into this event and you know people who you've emailed with, or you can connect with them ahead of time and just makes those situations a lot less intimidating, which is really, really excellent. Well, and it's also a sanity maker because I know as for me, I'm a solo practitioner. And so the isolation that comes with, with entrepreneurship, like, you know, I think every contact. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like there are just some days where, you know, I have to definitely make a conscious effort to have human contact because otherwise maybe I've only talked to people through Skype or email or the phone. It's crazy. It'll drive you crazy. (laughs) Yes. It was so smart that you, you recognize that right away because that was a lesson that I had to sort of hit the wall on. Yeah. You know, that's the one thing I am pretty good at is like, I know that I need networks. I love kind of having different outlets and that's something that that I automatically do, even with Mommy Interrupted. So the other uh, hat that you mentioned was my maternal advocacy group that I started. And I started that after I had an unexplained stillbirth with my first daughter um, at 26 weeks of pregnancy, so about six and a half months into my pregnancy. Um, and I realized after that that I I needed like a group of people who were in the same situation, um, and it just didn't really exist. So I started this organization and it's brought together women who kind of have suffered all kinds of losses, um, but we all kind of have a very similar, there's just, you know, there's just a lot of commonality, even if you have different situations within a certain umbrella. So it brings together people who are feeling a lot of the same things, even though they've kind of gone through, whether it's perinatal loss or infertility or late-term loss or SIDS loss, there are a lot of common threads. So I knew that I needed that right away. And and connected with a lot of other women. So whether it's been in music or in my personal life, I definitely, I like first and foremost seek other humans <laughs> to share my experience with. That's my favorite, my favorite thing of any, whether it's a, a work thing or a personal crisis, I love uh, just connecting and, and knowing that I'm not the only one. And knowing when to reach out. Yeah. Because I think sometimes like women will suffer. And I imagine yes. a lot of oh. the mommy interrupted crowd Yes. Totally has suffered. And you know, it's funny, it's across the spectrum. Like I have friends who had perfect pregnancies, perfect deliveries, and then would have postpartum, whether it's anxiety or a little bit of depression or serious depression. A lot of them waited a long time before they reached out to other women. And it's it's so debilitating. You know, I just always feel like I don't know I don't know why I always assume someone else is in the same situation as I am, but I always do assume there's someone who gets it. And I think it's it's so true that we as women think we need to suffer in silence a lot of the time. And it just, it just kind of perpetuates the the misery. So I reached out early on. I actually, there was this incredible woman named Kylie Hainish and she's out of LA. Um, and she had a stillbirth. I think it's like close to, it's close to 10 years ago. I'd have to, um, I think it actually is. I think it was 2006. And she runs this amazing organization called return to zero. And she lost her son to stillbirth. 
and started that organization a while after. It was actually her husband who started a, who made a movie about um, stillbirth, starring Minnie Driver, and it's this incredible story of uh, what they had gone through. And Kylie, years later, was able to kind of reach out to a network uh, after the film was made, after they saw the incredible response to the film. And she started uh, healing retreats for women who had suffered stillbirth. And uh, stillbirth, for anyone who doesn't know, is the death of a fetus after 20, 20 weeks or 24 weeks. It differs in different countries. But it's, a, it's considered like a second half of pregnancy loss, and you're required to give birth to the baby uh, or have a C-section, and you have to bury or cremate by law. So it's like a very significant grief that is like very specific Um, I've had a miscarriage too, so I can compare them now. (laughs) Um, It's it's a group of women who really don't know where to turn when it happens because it's something no one wants to talk about, right? Like babies dying is not something anyone ever wants to talk about. Uh, So for women going through that experience, it's horrifying because you can't talk about it, but you want to because like you gave birth to your child. (laughs) And so it's all you want to talk about, but you can't. And it's, you know, it's kind of this, I used to say I felt like this like old witch in the corner all of a sudden with warts growing on my face because like I, I, I was all of a sudden that person who people would whisper about when I walked into a room. And that's so the opposite of my personality. Um, I just am like a loud talker and, you know, I get involved with everything really quickly. And so all of a sudden I felt like I couldn't get involved with things and I couldn't have conversations I would have normally had. So that was very isolating. So that was a great thing that I found Kylie's group. And so she holds these healing retreats for women who have experienced stillbirth specifically. I went to, I went to speak to a counselor after my loss. I had never been to therapy before, but I figured I'd test it out. And uh, mm-hmm. I went and I talked to this woman and I told her about these retreats. And I said, you know, there's one coming up next month. And she was like, Nicole, you can't go to a retreat. You just had this loss. And I said, yeah, but I think I really need, like I, I thrive around other people. I don't want to like not do it and then have it come up a year later, you know, and maybe try it then. And also other people that can understand what you're going through. Right. And so for me, I was like, no, I want to get involved with something like this. You know, it was a very, and so everyone was warning me because they were like, oh, you know, usually people like to take time before they get involved in stuff. And I was like, okay, well, I don't, I throw myself in. So I went (laughs) and, you know, it could have been a crazy thing to do, but um, luckily it really worked out. And it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life, really, because there were these 25 other women who had gone through very similar and yet different uh, losses. You know, some, and you're sitting in this room and you've gone through this horrific thing and then you're meeting these other women and everyone's story is like more horrifying than the next. And you're sitting there all of a sudden like, oh my God, like, here are the reasons why I'm lucky. Like, here are the things that I didn't, you know, my husband wasn't deployed in Iraq when this happened. He was, he was with me or, you know, I didn't have to go through this, um, alone with no family around or, you know, whatever it was, there are kind of pros and cons to everyone's story in comparison to your own. And, uh, it was amazing that all these women just opened up and shared the most, you know, terrifying moments of their life. And you, you form this bond. And I think that really taught me that, everyone's story, no matter how terrifying it is to other people, if you're able to tell it authentically and come from a place of like a positive place. um, And a supportive place. And a supportive place. I think it's just kind of magical when people are able to share things, Um, you know, whatever it is, runs a gamut, everyone has different experiences. But that was an experience, that retreat that taught me like opening up to other people, especially other women, and especially through the childbearing 
kind of umbrella because everyone, no matter what they experience, I think when you are a woman of your childbearing age, whether you don't want kids and that's your thing, like, and people are constantly asking you when you're going to have children or whether you've tried for years or whether you've had a loss, I think it's just all really connected. And I think that's one of the most beautiful ways I've been able to connect with women since my loss is just through all of these different ups and downs that everyone goes through and that no one talks about. And so we do end up kind of dealing with it on our own or maybe with a couple people we've spoken to about it. But I was shocked after my loss that all of a sudden I heard from everyone in my life about something they had gone through that I never knew about. Yes. Um, and even really close friends who had, you know, had children, but had maybe tried for years and gone through IVF. And these are things I never knew or who had suffered miscarriage after miscarriage or whatever it was. It was just really eye opening. Um, and so that made me realize that I wanted to create a community where women could just could just talk about this stuff um, and share each other's stories and hear each other's stories. Because I think when you hear other people's stories, um, you're able to kind of ground yourself in your own situation and it's easier to make choices. It's easier to kind of wrap your head around things, you know. I think, I think sharing those experiences is just pretty, pretty amazing and allows people to kind of move forward in whichever direction they're able to. Yeah, it's really powerful just creating the space sometimes. Yeah. You know, I imagine there were, I imagine there are women who feel like they want to come but not contribute, at least not right yes. away. And then other yes. women who feel like, I just want to hear what's going on with other women. Right. I want it and contribute my story because yes. we have to be talking about this. Right. Absolutely. It is incredible that we don't, you know, and there are so many things that have come out of that specifically that have made me really interested in like the psychology of all of it, because the, even the, the idea that women don't announce their pregnancies before the three month mark, which is like, you know, before that one in four women are losing pregnancies, but no one's talking about it. And so I don't know when it started. I would love to like maybe one day go back to school and really get into this. Just the psychology of telling women not to announce pregnancies. Like when did that begin? Because that sets you up for not having a support network if something happens in that first trimester. And it's just so interesting that that's just kind of the norm, you know. We and just, adds a layer of shame. Oh, totally. And then you haven't told anyone you're pregnant. Something happens. You have no support. You feel like you can't tell people that you had a miscarriage or whatever it was. And it's just like this constant cycle of secrecy. And so when your friend has something happen, they feel like they can't tell anyone. And then it's like this entire, I mean, this entire network of people who, who could have a shared experience and support one another and, and aren't able to, because that's just not how we're, how we're set up. It's just, I mean, just, you know, I think that, I think that women talking about everything more is going to help no matter what. <laughs> so Nicole, I remember seeing I think it, I was on Facebook and I had seen mm -hmm. an article that you had shared about Mommy Interrupted. And then literally within 24 hours, I had seen a post from a woman that I went to high school with talking about how she had suffered several miscarriages and mm -hmm. just like the deep ache she was feeling every yeah. time people were casually like, so are you and your husband going to have a baby anytime soon? Yeah. TikTok, what are you waiting for? I know it's killer, right? Yeah. And the thing is, it's so frustrating because we don't know not to say things. Because like, if I hadn't had a loss, I wouldn't know not to say that to people. <laughs> you know, there's no like, there's no handbook on how to talk to other people. You just you aren't you aren't aware of it. It's like having you know, having any other kind of loss, I guess, in your life. But especially for women, I think it's difficult with a pregnancy loss, and people just don't know how to 
address it. So we just have to get better at, I think, talking more openly. And then hopefully we'll know not to ask women constantly when they're going to have kids (laughs) if they haven't shared it with us first, because maybe that's not in the plan. (laughs) Yes. And so at Mommy Interrupted, is it just in Boston or what are your what are your plans there? Yeah, so it's not. So we're everywhere. And basically, I wanted to set up um, a website with some resources because that's what I didn't, I saw didn't exist here. I was actually lucky. I ended up delivering our daughter in England just because we were in Italy on vacation at the time. And we had to fly to London because I didn't want to give birth in an Italian hospital (laughs) because I was like, I think the language barrier on top of this trauma is not going to be helpful. So we flew to London. Um, because I wasn't able to fly all the way home. My doctors weren't sure what was going on, so they didn't want me to go septic over the Atlantic or something. So I, oh uh, God, I was in Nicole. London. Yeah, it was it was a lot. It was a it was a bad 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 vacation, <laughs> um, to say the least. Um, so we get to London, and I was so lucky to have this incredible organization in the UK called SANDS UK S A N D S, and it stands for Stillbirth and Neonatal Death society, I'm going to say, but I'm not sure that last word is correct. But um, they are an incredible, incredible group that um, has support resources in hospitals across the UK. And that's the benefit of having a national healthcare system is that you're getting the same resources everywhere. So here in the US, you go to a hospital and you have a stillbirth and you're not necessarily getting a single resource. And you may not have a nurse or a doctor who really knows how to react or how to speak to someone compassionately about the loss or how to explain what they're going to be going through over the few days of labor. You know, yeah. luckily in the UK, they had these amazing resources that they handed me. So I had a booklet and I was able to read through the booklet and say like, okay, here's what's going to happen in labor and delivery. Here's what's going to happen the day after. Here's what's going to happen uh, maybe in your marriage over the next few months as you grieve differently. Um, just incredible things that set me up for the best possible healing. And I came back to the U.S. and realized that we don't have that here. Um, and every, you know, every version of care is very different from healthcare facility to healthcare facility. And that was pretty traumatizing because I can't imagine, you know, the shock of finding out halfway through your, more than halfway through your pregnancy, you're not going to be having this child that you've been expecting. Um, but then also not to have any resources available. So like, you literally think you're the only person it's ever happened to because there's no system in place to support you. (laughs) Um, So I, you know, I wanted to make sure that we start putting together those kinds of resources and SANS has been incredible. They have let me use their resources to build everything over here in the U S. So what we're in the process of doing now is putting together pamphlets that are going to be available via PDF online and also in healthcare facilities. So women and their families have those resources when they first come into the hospital and get, some bad news. And then everything's going to live online just because there are a lot of kind of frustrating things that go on, obviously, just like in any, in any office, really, (laughs) just in hospitals, some nurses will know to give someone a pamphlet, someone won't know where the pamphlets are, you know, just the paper gets shifted around. So everything's going to be online and downloadable. And um, long term, I'm really hoping we're able to build an app so that women can just log on when they have a loss and get directed to exactly what they need. And that's one of the wow. things I really was frustrated by as well. Yeah, because, you know, you have all these pregnancy apps, like a million freaking pregnancy apps or fertility apps. And then all of a sudden, like I'm logging my information every day, the weight and the this and the that and the movement. 
and uh, and your baby's the size of a lima bean this week, and then exactly. in a situation like it's this, you're sort of screwed. Yeah, you're totally screwed. And I so I go on my apps, you know, just and I'm like, where's the button for stillbirth? Like, where's the where's the button for stillbirth that then sends me to my resources? Like, why is that not a thing that exists? So that's what I hope we're able to do. I have spoken to a couple of great pregnancy app companies, and they have since um, built in more resources. Like I use one called Ovia. It's by Ovuline. I spoke to them a couple of years ago, and now I, I don't, I'm not sure that this is because of our conversations, but at least they have really evolved to include a lot of great information about things like loss and kick counts, like encouraging women every single day to do kick counts, which is something I didn't know about, but little things that you just don't read in the books if you're not high risk um, yep. that are really, really important for women to do. So it's been it's been interesting to see how everything's evolved, but I'm hoping eventually we get to the app stage where we have an app for, for mommy-interrupted audiences of all kinds. Um, and they, that resources in the hospitals and then um and then our Facebook page is really you know after our loss I just like wanted to read everything on the internet about stillbirth I didn't know what it was beforehand I couldn't believe that I didn't know because I was so well educated in like women's health and I read every pregnancy book I knew you know I knew all the stuff but I didn't know that you could have an unexpected loss for no known reason and it's 50% of stillbirth cases go unsolved. So even after a full autopsy, the doctors cannot tell what caused the loss. So there's a lot of research to be done, but I'm not even going to touch that side of things with yep. a 10-foot pole, really. Um, my my hope is just to provide the support for education for women beforehand and then support for women afterwards. So our Facebook page is really great because it just lets women read articles, which is all I wanted to do when I got home. I was reading like, medical journal articles from Russia, you know, like, I would You're like, I'm having to go to the other side I of the universe on to get info. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, you know, you just want to, every mom I've met who has an unexplained loss just wants to solve it. Like, they just so badly want to solve whatever it was that happened, whether it's something they ate, or whether it was a cord prolapse, or, you know, whatever it was, they just want to be able to find the answer. And so I just find that it really helps moms to read articles. And and I love posting stuff across the gamut, um, whether it's pregnancy after loss support articles from this great organization I work with or um, infertility articles. I just think it's nice that we all kind of know what other people are going through, even if it's not what we're going through. And hopefully it helps down the line. I've had so many friends of mine who have you know, signed on and read articles that I've, that I've posted over the last couple of years. And they've come back to me a lot and said, oh my gosh, I have this other friend who was going through this different thing. And I'm so glad I read that article about it because I was able to talk to them in a compassionate way. And I was able to support them in a way that was really helpful. Um, Cause a lot of times with pregnancy loss that, you know, the, I call it secondary trauma because the first trauma is actually going through the loss and uh, a lot of the physical and emotional uh, trauma and, and aftermath. But then really the secondary trauma is when you, get comments from other people and well-meaning family and friends who just will yes. say things that are really, really tough to take. A lot of, you know, it was meant to be or, you know, the baby's in God's hands now. And if you're not religious, that like really pisses you off. Yep. <laughs> and uh, I had like we were traveling at the time, which has no relevance at all to our loss. And my landlord said like, oh, I'm so sorry. She said, well, you know, you shouldn't have been traveling. And I was like, wow, like what, first of all, 
what, what century is this? <laughs> because like, yeah, because like I actually have like statistical information to share with you on why that's not <laughs> at all relevant to what happened to me. But, um, so, you know, you had to kind of decide whether you want to go into like educator mode and like prove to that person that you have information that will maybe help them not make comments like that to other people in the future. Or just um, lick your own but, wounds for a few minutes. Yeah, exactly. And that's usually what you end up doing. Certainly at the beginning is just like internalizing it and trying not to burst into either like a rage or tears <laughs> at that person. But it's really frustrating because you, you just don't know what to say to people. And I think that that's like grief across the spectrum in our, yes. in our culture. We just don't know how to deal with it and we don't know how to support other people through it. No, yeah, I just, I hope that it, we're, we're able to at least shine a little light on, on how to support people better and, and reduce that trauma from, from the after, the aftermath of comments. Yes. Or the silence. You know, I think that's the other thing where the people totally. who recognize they don't know what to say, then just kind right. of run for cover. Like I, I remember yes. when my dad died of cancer in 2003 uh-huh. and it was a very quick move in cancer it was like found out I think oh. July 1st and he died August 1st oh and my god so it was like just enough time to like settle things and not oh. have my mom you know things be organized for my mom but it was it was quick and Ugh. so I'm a communicator much like you are and yeah. so I wanted to keep people in the loop and know what was going on but it was moving faster than yeah. I could keep up with every day and so you know, I had defaulted to email just kind of like telling people like, if you don't hear from me, if I don't return your calls, it right. has nothing to do with you. Here's what's right. going on in my life. When I come right. back up for air, you know, yeah. I'm probably going to need your help. And it was really funny. Like I had, you know, some friends who totally knew what to say and right. some friends who didn't, but tried, right. bless their soul. And right. then <laughs> I had, you know, a, a, big contingent of people that had no idea what to say so just chose to say nothing or what always amazed me was like all of a sudden everything in everybody else's life was fine like you'd ask about you know the kid that was like prone to getting detentions all the time or whatever and they're like no he's great (laughs) right right and (laughs) right you're like no this is the time I want to hear the bad stuff share your bad stuff with me (laughs) please please Please. (laughs) just be normal like right, just right. treat me like a, a a human being because I'm already having a hard enough time, you know, right. keeping it on the rails at this point anyway. Right. It's so funny. It's just, it's bizarre that we don't have tools that we're never given tools for how to react to grief. I think one of the, one of my favorite things, and you might have found the same thing is when certain people would just say to me, like, I don't know what to say, but I am so sorry. You know, like just hearing that, that acknowledgement that you're going through something and that that person does not know what to say or do can sometimes like disarm you in a really great way. You know, you're, you're not supposed to know necessarily. Everything is, you know, every situation is different and every person likes hearing different things. I have a lot of moms who, you know, like when certain people say some things and other moms will say like, no, that really upset me when someone said that. So I just think, you know, being able to admit that we're here for each other and, and maybe don't know what to do or say and, might do or say the wrong thing. And I remember like I've, I've had times since then where I've said or done something in response to someone's grief. And I just like, as I'm saying it, I'm like, Oh God, like, (laughs) no, take it back. Like this is not the right thing. And I know it's not, but it just like, for some reason you just constantly go to like trying to be positive or like, uh, you know, a, a butt situation where you're like, 
you know, or at an at least situation yes. um, where you're saying like, well, you know, at least it was like with your dad, like at least it was quick. Like, no, not at least. it's <laughs> No, you, I didn't want it to be quick. You know, it's like people would say to me like, well, at least you didn't get to know the baby. I was like, really? That's not an at least that I need to hear right yeah, now. I'm not helping. Need to hear. I'm sorry. I'm here for you. Like, let's just all agree to leave it at that sometimes. <laughs> and I think what you're describing is something common, you know, whether it be cancer, whether it be stillbirth, yeah. whatever these situations are, what did you find helpful? Like when you're on the receiving end of something that kind of makes you either want to pull out your hair or just kind of double over in tears, like yeah, what helped you most in those moments? Like – what helped were you able to ever get to a place where you're just like you're you're hearing the comments you're feeling triggered in some way yes. and just kind of like do you go into education mode do you go into i'm just going to address this later mode like what yeah. any like i guess and, what i'm trying to do cuz this is so common in yeah. a billion ways whether it's like right. i said cancer stillbirth sexual harassment like where you're right. just kind of looking at someone and you're like, I can't tell if I want to punch you, scream at you, or just yeah. cry. What, <laughs> yeah. what helps you keep it together in those moments? You know, I had this um, really great experience. And I, it was actually when I was leaving that healing retreat for women, that um, the Return to Zero retreat. And up until that point, and it had only been a couple of months, I think it was only six weeks after our loss, I hadn't been able to answer the question when people asked, have I been pregnant before? Or if I had given birth, like I would go to the dry cleaner and they'd be like, Oh my God, did you have a baby? And like, I didn't know what to say or do. I just wasn't able to answer questions at that point. I didn't want to scare people. And it wasn't because I wasn't comfortable saying what happened. I just, you know, you tell someone that your baby died and their face just drops and you've ruined their day, you know? And so it's about managing that person's feelings all of a sudden. And that I think is what's hard in a lot of grief scenarios is like you're then managing that person's feelings instead of your own. And so now the work is put on you to make them feel better about your tragedy <laughs> and that gets exhausting. And so I think the thing that really helped me, whether it was wanting to scream at someone or just burst into tears was I, I was leaving this retreat and I had stopped at this farmer's market in Vermont on my drive back to Boston. The retreat had made me finally feel validated in my loss and really positive. It had put this positive spin on everything because it made me realize that I needed to focus not on the fact that we had lost our daughter, but the fact that she existed at all in my life and that that was a gift and that uh, my husband was healthy and I was healthy and we, we had each other and just that the whole thing had happened the way it had and that there was beauty in all of it, even the hardest parts. And so I felt validated in a loss. I felt validated um, as a mother, which society doesn't allow you to do unless you were like holding a child in your arms. So I felt really, really positive about everything. And I just had a lot of love in my heart for these other women and, and for myself and for my daughter. And so I'm driving to this farmer's market and I stop and I pull over and I see this these little like arts and crafts booths. And I see one where these have these beautiful crane, like origami cranes everywhere. And for Olivia, my daughter, her like whole nursery and all of her stuff was all flamingos. That was her animal. I was obsessed with flamingos at the time. <laughs> so, um, so I see these cranes and I see one 
section of these flamingo cranes. And they're these beautiful pink origami flamingos. And I say to her, oh my gosh, those are so beautiful. I would like to take all of the flamingos that you have. And she said, huh, no one has ever purchased my flamingo (laughs) origami cranes. Um, And she said, may I ask what they're for? And it was the first time that I had, I just come from this amazingly validating weekend. And I was able to say to her with love in my heart, yes, I just lost my daughter and the, my animal that represented her was a flamingo and I saw your incredible artwork and they just spoke to me and reminded me of her. And I would like to give each one as a gift to my family and friends for the holidays. And she didn't burst into tears and her face didn't drop into a look of horror and her eyes just welled up a little bit with a couple of tears. And she grabbed my hand and she said that that was the most beautiful thing anyone had said to her about her origami before. And she said, what a gift you've given me. And she said, I hope that, you know, you take these and, and these are my gift to you. And I hope that you're able to, to share them with your family with as much love as you just shared your story with me. And I just felt amazing. Like it was the first time I was able to tell that sad story without upsetting someone. I was able to like give her a story to tell. And it just felt really authentic. For the first time, I felt like I could take my guard down and I didn't have to worry about someone else's feelings when I was sharing it. And so I think from that point on, I realized that whatever situation I'm put in that makes me uncomfortable or sad or triggered or really angry if I can just like take a breath and see that my experience, like I'm grounded in my experience and it's, uh, you know, my, all of my experiences, whatever they are, I own them now. And I'm, I'm proud of them, whether they're good or bad, uh, whether they're mistakes or triumphs. And I just try to ground myself in that and knowing that the choices I make are my choices, right or wrong. I'm, I'm, I own them. And uh, that that's where my reactions come from now, or just really trying to ground myself in who I am and, and what I know and what I'm comfortable with. And that if I'm reacting to someone who's making me angry, I just like, try to come from that same place of love that I came from with that woman. Um, and, you know, knowing that hopefully I can be compassionate and not angry, and that I can diffuse the situation rather than make it more dramatic. Um, I think that for me, just like really taking a breath and, and knowing that I have to respond in a way that feels good and that I'll walk away from an interaction feeling good about, um, is the most important thing. I'm never going to be that person who like comes up with a quick answer. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) if someone says something obnoxious to me, I'm never going to be the person who comes up with some smart remark. That's just like not how my brain works. I'm more likely to like start crying, you know, um, that's just, I've never been quick enough to come up with some like a witty response to whatever something, you know, someone said to me. So I just try to really come from a place that's authentic and, and it always helps also I've heard to like pose the question back to the person. If it's something that really upsets you, one of my friends was saying the other day, I was telling her about a a woman who said something really obnoxious to me and she was like, well, you know, you have to flip it back on them. If you're in a situation where someone has just made you uncomfortable, like that's valid, whether you know, you're going to overthink it. But like, if you've made uncomfortable in that moment, that's valid. Or if you're made upset or if you're triggered or whatever it is, and it always helps. So I haven't yet, haven't yet mastered that. Cause I'm like a little bit shy to like try it on someone. But if someone, I'm hoping that if someone says something upsetting or triggering to me, I can kind of learn to master that posing the question back to them. Like, 
well, why would you say that? Or, wow, that makes me really uncomfortable. Can I ask you why you would ask that? You know, I've heard that that's a a good tactic in those scenarios. But so far, just me trying to like, trying to be myself, even if it's like not a cool, witty response. (laughs) Just just something that makes me feel authentic and, and makes me walk away from the scenario feeling good rather than wounded or or angry. And I think what's powerful here, like what I'm hearing in what you've been describing is the real power of stopping to take a breath, which yeah. I think in a time and an era of yes. more, 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 faster, fitter, stronger, happier, yes. like more productive, like, you know, I, yeah. I, I always go back to that Radiohead song in my, in my head yeah. where yeah. it's like just more, better, faster. And it's, it's this constant push, like the power of just simply, because it sounds like what you're doing is not just taking a breath, but also saying like, what kind of intention do I, I yes. want to bring, you know, what kind of energy do I want to bring to this conversation? Because here's yes. my chance to check it. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I think realizing that everyone, like, I think anyone who says something to you, in any capacity, like they're bringing their own baggage into that conversation. So just understanding that everyone has their own stuff and also realizing sometimes that when something is said to you, like it's not necessarily about you, it may be more about that other person and where they are in their day or, you know, whatever it is. Um, So just realizing like everyone's fighting some kind of battle, whatever that quote is, you know, everyone's carrying their own, their own story. And so you just have to try to take a, take a beat and, you know, give each other a little leeway everywhere and try to understand like where people are coming from. Cause it's so hard. Like I remember one of my friends had a fr- had a family member who committed suicide a couple years ago and it was really tough to know what to say. Cause that's such a specific type of grief. And my husband had been through it cause he lost a friend to suicide years ago. And so I should have known what to say, but I didn't. And I said, the, <laughs> I just said something kind of trite and useless. Um, and so also walking back from that, like I, I, went back and said, you know what, I said this to you, but I really meant this. And I hope that that comes across. So anytime, you know, a reaction is not what we want it to be, maybe just being able to take a minute and then circle back on it. Smart. (laughs) Instead of overthinking it. Yeah. Instead of overthinking it, which I will do a million times. And just perseverating. (laughs) Yeah, Because it's so changing the situation, (laughs) right? (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) No one wins at that point. Like the person no that you said something wins. to like right. is probably festering on it just as much. And right. then you're sort of beating yourself up for it. Right. I like, and I'm always like, I like that you yeah. walked it back. Like that's a really brave thing yeah. to do. Yeah. I just find that like, I know that people have said things to me after my loss that I would have loved for them to have come back and said, you know what? That was stupid. I'm sorry. I said that. I just didn't know what to say. And so I feel like, you know, why not just get it out there? <laughs> and I, Easy I liked, enough. Yeah. And I especially liked your point about, you know, repeating the question, kind of approaching things with curiosity. And yeah. I, I mean, just in the work that I do, you know, with private clients, like my clients will tell you I am relentless with questions. Like I, yeah. like you can just keep peeling back so much with questions Right. And, you know, so the, the notion of sort of, you know, stating how you feel, like, yeah. hey, you just asked me this question. It makes me feel a little funky here. Right. You know, and then like, what what was your intention? Or, yeah. 
you know, what, what were you trying to say? You know, and kind of like putting it back on that person to just be curious. Like, I know you didn't mean, you know, for the most part, I know you didn't mean to be an asshat in this situation. (laughs) I hope you didn't mean, but. Exactly. Just to clarify. Yeah, just, I'm going to assume this isn't what you meant. And just being able to sort of be curious. Like, what, what did you, what did you mean? Right. I think that's, I think that's a good way to handle stuff. I haven't yet done it, but I'm going to, next time someone says something weird, I think I'm going to try it. Good for I you. always like err on the side of not saying anything, you know, and then later you're like, darn it. I would really like to know what she meant by that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's a great strategy. <laughs> nice. Well, let me let me know how it works, because I always love hearing. Well, like, I love hearing power <laughs> questions that have really worked for people. Yeah. Oh, the idea of it scares me. But yeah, yeah. that's it's a good thing. We all need to be <laughs> live on the edge a little bit. Right. It's true. So, Nicole, this is going to sound like it's a small question, but I'm sure it's it's big at the same time. You mm-hmm. are juggling so many different, amazing, probably exhausting roles. That has to be incredibly challenging at times. Like, what helps you keep the train on the tracks? That is such a good question. Um, I'm not sure the train is on the tracks, but <laughs> um, <laughs> when I feel that it is, I am probably like chopping up my time in ways that is efficient when I feel it's not, I'm probably not doing that. And I think most of the time I'm not, I'm like one of those people who loves reading about productivity and efficiency, but I don't really implement those plans. You know, I think just knowing that I have to, and since I've been working for myself, I think it's been a lot harder because you have to kind of set priorities for yourself. Um, yes. (laughs) When everything is a priority to you. Right. So like, my, my music business clients are my priority. My like mommy interrupted network is a priority. They all have like very different needs and, and I have different goals with, with all of that stuff and women in music and on and on. So I think just like setting goals and really keeping myself accountable is helpful. Um, I'm really lucky in my music and my, my music life, we'll call it to have co-managers. And so like one of my clients in Australia, I have a co-manager in Australia, a client in India, I have a co-manager in India. And that's great because I don't have coworkers, so to speak. So those, okay. you know, those um, partners really kind of help us keep the train on the tracks as we go and we kind of keep each other accountable. And that's been something that's been so helpful. And then, you know, I think um, just letting myself kind of fudge things here and there has been really helpful. I think when I started out, I was so hard on myself that I didn't accomplish a certain number of things that I set out to do in a day or whatever it was. And just knowing that like, you know, I'll have days where I'm really productive and get a lot done. And there are other days where I'm not going to be productive and I can't fight that. Like I could have six cups of coffee and it's not going to help me because I'm just not (laughs) in the headspace that day, you know? And I think what's been actually really helpful is watching some of my, my music industry clients in a, in a writing session, uh, to write music because, you see that like everything we do is a bit of an artistic process, right? Like whatever we're working at, it's our form of the art that we're creating. And for an artist, like they can't just sit down every single day of the week and come up with a hit song. That's just not how it goes. You have to be inspired. Unless you're like Dolly Parton, right? Right. Of course. (laughs) Of course. Right. There are those people who are just total machines. And in a, like in the business side, I've seen people who are just like real doers. Like, I don't know how they function, but they say they're going to do something and they do it immediately. 
uh, they don't just like write it down on a to-do list. They actually will just like start doing that thing right away. Uh, that's a level of efficiency that I can't even comprehend. But I think for most of us, you know, it's just knowing kind of when to really ride the wave of productivity when you're feeling it. And then to know other days, like, okay, maybe I'm going to do these three things because my head is obviously not in this other thing right now. And just like, you know, giving myself a break once in a while has been really helpful. I think I stressed out too much early on about kind of tasks and like checking things off a list um, and not thinking bigger picture and making sure that those priorities were set first. Uh, So that's been helpful. And then delegating responsibility is my biggest uh, white whale. I have yet to really (laughs) figure that one out. You know, we're not all good at everything. And there are things that I'm like, that I'm not my best at, and I still have a hard time letting other people do them. And I I don't know why, (laughs) but it's like every time I do let someone else do it, I'm like, wow, you were way better at this than I am. This went so much easier than it would have had I tried to do it, you know, so really kind of finding the gaps in your abilities and making sure that someone else is filling in those gaps is just, just makes a huge difference in like what I'm able to accomplish for clients. Is that something that comes natural to you or is that something like you hit a wall and you realize like, oh, this part of the business, not good at? Like, did you have to yeah. learn those lessons the hard way or do you have tools for introspection that have been helpful? I mean, there are just some basic things I'm not good at. Like math is not my strong suit. So like accounting is something I hate doing. Like I just, it's like, I hate like tour accounting, trying to come up with the receipts after being on tour. It's like, I don't keep track of them daily. So I end up with a pile of random receipts and it's, I hate that stuff. Like I'm just not good at it. I'm not organized in that way. So that stuff, like I just know I'm not good at it. I know I have to have a process in place or I need someone else to do it for me. And then the other things have just been kind of trial and error, but I'm pretty sure I've always known that like when something's taking me a long time, it's probably not the best use of that time. It's probably like something that someone else could do a lot faster because I have found myself doing things sometimes over the years and been like, wow, I feel like someone else could do this in half the time. So this is probably not the best idea for me. I actually had an intern this semester who was like freaking phenomenal. This young girl is just like, she rails through things like media lists and like pitches in no time. And this is stuff that would have taken me a lot longer. And this is like a college student doing it and doing it really well. And so I started just being like, yeah, you know, like the stuff that I can have someone else do when I find out their strength, I really need to just let that go. Because, you know, the the two sentences I would have changed in the pitch are not going to make the difference and just got to give up that, that sense of control a little bit. That's an important thing. And that's something I hear behind closed doors that a lot of my my private clients struggle with. What has helped you kind of hit that point where you're like, you know what, my time is worth X. This is taking 10 times more of it than need be. It's it's time to go. Yeah, uh, I think just like realizing I'm not ever going to accomplish what I want to accomplish if I'm doing everything myself. (laughs) It's just like, I think, and I don't know if this is like as women, if we want this, but like, I think that I just like, will try to do everything myself, whether it's like house stuff or work or personal life. Like I just, I just assume I'm going to do it. So I just start doing it. But 
it's actually my husband who makes me realize a lot, like, don't do that. Like, if you don't like doing that, let's not do that anymore. You know, <laughs> like I'll complain and complain and complain about something around the house. And he'll be like, why don't you hire someone to do that? Like you can hire someone by the hour to like put up mirrors or put up shelves or whatever it is you've been bitching about for two months. Cause you don't want to do it, but like, I'm not going to do it either. So, you know, <laughs> why are we complaining? You know, or like dinner, you know, let's figure out a different scenario if you don't want to be making dinner a couple nights a week. Like, why are, why are you stressing over this? Just don't do it. And for me, I'm like, no, what? I, I want to do it or I should be doing it or you know, whatever it is. And he's like, no, like outsourcing, outsourcing. <laughs> Just if you don't want to do it or you're going to, you know, it's going to be a problem, then like work around the problem. So I think for work, it's, it's a tough one because you want to, you know, especially if you're working for yourself, you want to be doing everything and you want to have that sense of control. But it's just too much. There's just no way. And so you end up shooting yourself in the foot because you're not going to accomplish certain goals if you're, you know, doing every single piece of, of what you're working toward. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for expanding on that because it's, it's something that comes up a lot where I'll hear like the agony, like especially over something like, like housekeeping and you know, not everyone can afford to have someone come in every week and clean. But there are certain aspects that, and especially when people have kids that are older, you know, like I I hear like just this agony from especially working moms that are just like struggling. And, you know, this is where like productivity can rear its ugly head because we get, we build these systems to do everything efficiently. And then sometimes like we forget to like stick our head up out of the the kind of matrix and go, but do I have to be doing all this? Like, can I delegate this? this? Yeah, like, can can I delegate this to the kids? Can I have someone just come in once a month? Can, you know, even just breaking it up different, like, does it all have to be done? You know, like, what are the expectations you're holding yourself to just around something like mopping the floor? Like, right. It's it's madness. Yeah, and it's, And it's, it, it is so important to look up sometimes like we yes, get so yes. in that well I have this productive system built and then right. like we forget to, to see if it works it's like no you don't have to be doing it at all <laughs> like it's just not going to get done is the thing you know like most likely if you're not doing it you either have to find someone else to do it whether it's your kids or a partner or hiring someone or it's not going to get done and you know for better or worse I I'm fine with things not getting done. Like I don't have that much of a problem with it. I'm not that organized or never have been. So, you know, if the floor isn't mopped, it's just not mopped. And I, you know, will say to people who come over like, sorry, this place is a mess. (laughs) That's just, that's, you know, how we roll around here. I can't, uh, nothing looks spiffy all the time. So yes. And just, uh, you know, I read an article recently and it was, it, I, I would have to dig around to find it, but it was basically one woman sort of writing about how she has, she has like this certain type of friend, and I forget what the phrase was. And in in my history, I've always called it refrigerator friends, like the kind of friends that come <laughs> over and like just go get it in the refrigerator yourself. Like, yeah, don't ask me to get it. Like I'm, you know, right. you're, you're not company. Like at this point, you're family. Right. Go find it. Exactly. <laughs> And I think, like, you know, this article was about, you know, that she finally just said, 
you know, these these are people who care about me and I'm going to stop trying to cook like a 12 course meal every time like my girlfriends just want to come over. Like it's coffee. There are dirty socks everywhere. The kids grew up and I'm picking that up. So you just go make the coffee. And like it was a whole article about like women just being more real about like stop the facade. Like enough bullshit. We're all suffering. It's it's so stupid too. Like who cares? You know, I just it's so silly. We all we're so similar and, you know, we feel like we have to whether it's clean up for each other or cook for whatever it is. It's like, let's just not do that. (laughs) Those are the best friendships is when you just don't have to do it. The other thing is I found recently is like doing things or having things that, oh, did you read that book before I, before I go into this is like the joy of tidying up or whatever the Marie Kondo book. Oh, the Marie Kondo book. I actually have it on my iPad and I still haven't gotten to it. Oh, Karen, just you wait. So (laughs) I can't decide if I like love it more than anything in the world or if I just want to like, like throw it out my window because (laughs) it started me down this path of of feeling like everything in my home has to have a place. Like if every single thing in my home doesn't bring me joy, it's clutter. And so actually while I'm talking to you, I'm like looking around my room right now and I want (laughs) to scream because it's, it feels so good at first when you purge everything. And it's like, yes, I do only want to purchase things that bring me joy. And like, it actually does help when I'm like, do I need this? Do I want this? You know, because I've started buying some like weirder stuff, like more fun stuff because I don't want the boring version I want the like fun version so I like that part of it but the other part is like now I feel like every single item has to have its home and if it's not in its home at any given time which things are never where they're supposed to be around here (laughs) um I just feel like even more guilty I think now so anyway you have to read it and tell me what you think but I love the idea behind it but I do think like we all have to give ourselves a break because it's like who really cares you know (laughs) Yeah. It, I mean, giving ourselves a break is something so important. I'm I'm just as guilty of being a hard ass on myself about things sometimes. And, and not, you know, especially I am a recovering perfectionist, admittedly, yeah. and I am a type A woman. So like, a, yeah. a break on yourself? What's that? Right. Um, you know, it's something I constantly am taking my temperature on because it's, it's so important. And one of the things that I hear a lot, and I have, you know, I have had to learn how to be tougher on is saying no. And more yes. importantly, saying no without guilt. Is this, is yes. this something that comes up for you? Oh, my God, every single day. Like, I just, I, uh, I'm still struggling with it. I the one good thing is, during, after I lost our daughter, I was able to say no all the time. Like my mother-in-law was like, this is your time where you say no to everything and take care of yourself. And that taught me like saying no, isn't the end of the world because I am a perpetual yeser. Like I will say yes to everything and I can't control it. Like in the moment I, I have such a hard time <laughs> saying no to something because like I'm enthusiastic and like, I want to do it, whatever it is, you know? Um, in fact, a couple of days ago, my friend and I walked into Sephora and we were gonna, we wanted to get some new makeup and we wanted just like, just a little mini makeover. We wanted someone to like show us some new stuff. And we walked in and this woman came over and asked if we wanted to do a tutorial 
on like eyeliner or something. And that's not what we had come in for. But I was like, oh, yeah, sure. And my friend looked at me and she was like, Nicole, no, like we're not doing like that's not what we're here for. We only have 40 minutes. Like, what are you talking about? And I'm just like, I just have a hard time turning something like, I don't know, it sounded fun. And I wanted to do it. So it's just every aspect of life saying no, I think it's really challenging. And you don't want to turn down an opportunity or you don't want to turn down, you know, a commitment or whatever it is, because you want to be able to do it for that person or for yourself or whatever it is. But um, I, I think I'm learning now that sometimes I say yes, sometimes all the time I say yes to things. And then later on, I really don't want to do it. And I hate being a person who cancels plans. Like I really yes. don't like, and I've learned that other people don't like having things canceled. Like I'm, if you cancel on me, I'm totally fine. I honestly like, we'll do it another time. I'm, I'm flexible. Like that doesn't, it doesn't occur to me to take offense or to um, be annoyed just because I'm not an organized person. But I'm learning now as I get older that for organized people, they really often don't like when you change or cancel plans. And it's, it's a new lesson. <laughs> I'm not sure why it never <laughs> occurred to me before. But I'm learning that like me last minute changing something isn't, it's worse than if I had said no in the first place for certain audiences. So like, my new goal uh, is to not say yes in the first place if it's not something I really feel like I can come through with. And I think that's a good thing. Like, I don't want to say no to things that I want to do, but I just, I really don't want to have to say no at the last minute or change something or just feel like a burden of having to do something that I've committed to that I really didn't want to have to do. So I don't, you know, I think, I think you just, I don't know how you make that decision. I'm still working on that. Like, what, do, will I want to do in the moment versus what will I not want to do when the time gets there? But yeah, I think, I think saying no is a really, really important lesson. Yeah. I think we all have to struggle with what, it, you know, what our parameters are for saying, for saying no and how often we're comfortable committing to things versus turning an opportunity down. But it's definitely, I think one of the best things we can do for ourselves when we're just not interested in something <laughs> rather than committing and then having it hang over our heads. Yeah, I think, and it's funny, I just wrote a blog post for its FemEM, which is an organization that connects women in emergency medicine. So mostly oh, doctors, wow. nurses. And I had the opportunity to write a blog post for them. And so I wrote it kind of like a, a mock CDC announcement, like about influenza, except it was about this disease called overitis. You know, oh, where, where, where you're committing to do many things yep. and saying that. And it was, it's funny because it really, like, I am pretty fierce about the no, but it really, yeah. like, having to break it down and, and write it out for someone else, it really made me think through. And, you know, like, the, the big gist, and, you know, I'll post it in the show notes and y'all can read it, listen in, but the biggest thing that came to me was, like, Two two ideas kind of combined. Like one is I don't have to answer in the moment. Like there used to be right. like because I know very much like what you were describing. Like I was nodding That's like crazy. So like true. I want to learn something new or oh I get to meet right. someone new or do this new thing or have this new experience, which is so uber sexy to me. Yeah. But then, you know, over the years, and I'm much. It's much better for me now. But like over the years, the better part of my twenties you know, was spent crashing and burning, like overcommitting yeah. to so many things and then being too wiped out. And then yeah. like you were talking about, like not wanting to be the flake. 
So just like, even though I feel like I've been hit by a car and I'm exhausted, I am still going to drive in this snowstorm to make it to your baby shower. Right. Why (laughs) do we do that? It's so insane. (laughs) It's so insane, but it's like so hard not to do it. It's so hard. Yeah. And then the other piece that really cemented it for me, like the one, like, so a lot of times I just like ask people, like, I like to sleep on these kind of decisions. Can I have 24 hours? Oh, that's genius. Because I feel like when I sleep on it, it also like, you know, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and it's like, no, the answer is no. Like my my brain and my subconscious has been clicking away without me knowing and has just decided. But the other thing, um, I don't know if you follow Derek Sivers at all. No. So I think it's I think his website is like Derek Sivers dot dot org or dot com. But um he wrote this really short book and about his his experience as an entrepreneur and just generally sort of interesting life overall. And the biggest thing I took away from it, it's like, is it a hell yeah or a no? Like, there's no in between. Oh, that's so good. Like, if, if so you're good. just like, yeah, I, I, I kind of want to do it. Because, like, we know what that feels like deeply, right? Right. And, and like, so, how often do you really want to say hell yeah? Like, not that often, right? No. <laughs> so that's a really good litmus test. And and using that litmus test, like, because you say no to more stuff, like, you have time when, you know, a friend suddenly, like, decides they're going to be in town from London. Or, right. you know, like, these, like, random experiences. Or, you know, for you, I imagine just, like, having so many artists, like, crisscrossing the globe that you work with. Like, where you're just like, oh, my God, I'm going to get to actually see this person now. Yes, totally. I love that. I'm going to start doing that for sure. The hell yes. Or... <laughs> the hell yeah or Definite no. no. <laughs> <laughs> and, Nicole, I know you're a busy woman, so I, I, I want to be cognizant of time. I have some champagne questions that are sort of shorter, bubble-like questions that that I, I, I ask all my guests because I, I'm they're topics that interest me and I, I want to get some perspective on. And so you ready for, for some of those? I am ready. Awesome. So being the music maven that you are, this is probably a huge question. What song pumps you up or soothes you the most? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> this is a tough one. So like that will probably change by the week, but... Um, there's a new Kings of Leon song out right now, and I wish I knew the name of it. It's like their first single off a new album. And I didn't love them in the past, but I love this song, and it really pumps me up. Um, other than that, honestly, Taylor Swift is like, I mean, she never fails me <laughs> anytime. If I'm like exhausted in the morning and getting in the shower, if I like put on a Taylor Swift album, I am awake and ready to go in 10 minutes. <laughs> um, that... That stuff really pumps me up. My father would be embarrassed, as would like, <laughs> Stephen Van Zandt and most of my old colleagues. But that's the truth. Um, and then soothing. That's a good question. Um, I love a lot of singer-songwriters. Actually, one of my clients, Mark Wilkinson, who's Australian, he sings some beautiful, beautiful music. And so I think his stuff, I would say, is what, what soothes me. And I could just put that on and kind of have it on in the background and listen to it all day. So love that. Yes. And we'll make sure that people listening can find can find Mark. Where or what do you go to when you need inspiration? 
where do I go when I need inspiration? Um, so I think for work, I go to my clients, which could be seem kind of counterintuitive, but um, I'm really lucky to work with some amazing artists and it's tough in music to stay inspired and to stay positive just because like 90% of what you hear every day is no. Um, and it's just super competitive and really exhausting a lot of the times, like emotionally when you're constantly pitching stuff and it's being turned down and you're working on someone else's behalf. So you have kind of their expectations on your shoulders um, and you want things so badly for them. So I think it's tough to kind of stay motivated a lot of the time. So I often will just, you know, have a Skype call or um, a chat with, with my clients and just hear about what's going on with them and, and what they're looking for and, you know, what their goals are this month and over the next six months. So just kind of review kind of what we're working toward. I think that always kind of gets me pumped up for whatever we're working on together rather than just me working at it alone at my desk every day. It's nice to kind of check in and, and hear their perspective and hear their frustrations too. I think it's kind of inspiring when you get to sit down and talk with someone you're working on something with and kind of go through what is driving you both nuts and, and uh, figure out some kinks that always kind of re energizes me. And I'm lucky because it's, you know, all in the music business. So the music is pretty inspiring most of the time, which is really nice. And then personally, I would say, like, I don't know, just hanging out with family these days. You know, just uh, saying no to things and hanging out on the couch instead. <laughs> it's pretty, <laughs> pretty restorative. <laughs> definitely, definitely uh, just trying to take it easy. I have a really hard time doing it, and I feel frustrated, uh, especially now that I'm pregnant and big and having a hard time moving around more. Um, yes. <laughs> I really am frustrated saying no to things because it just really pisses me off. <laughs> um, I was supposed to be in New York for part of this week for a bunch of celebrations and kind of end of year stuff with my team. And I didn't get to go at the last minute. And uh, I just hate that stuff. But but learning to take it easy is also pretty restorative these days. And I think that, you know, it's a good lesson, I guess, in life is to try to give yourself a break once in a while and, and just kind of revisit whatever restores you. The other thing that actually I found pretty restorative is being creative, like with my, my own hands, which I'm not a creative person, like by instinct, I don't think, but, um, are you talking about like in terms of like art crafts, that kind of thing? Yeah. You know, I was like all of a sudden I went to one of those stupid paint nights with a friend once and uh, it's like paint by numbers, basically, with a glass of wine. <laughs> and what I painted was totally ridiculous. Um, but the, the art teacher was said I had a really nice use of color. And I thought, wow, you know, I'm really feeling this art thing. So I ended up taking some art classes at the Museum of Fine Arts here in Boston. And like, I'm not an artist, but it was really fun. And I just kind of loved zoning out for the two hours of the art class and like doing something where I was creating something in front of me um, that didn't exist before I created it. And I thought that was pretty cool, even though it's like I literally paint like a child. It was just, it was kind of a fun thing. And I, I think it's one of the only things that kind of let me really zone out. So I know people love those adult coloring books now. And yes, I have a friend who loves scrapbooking. I am like, I always want to do that, but I never get around to it. And then I end up buying supplies and like doing two pages and then quitting. But um, I think anything that it's not your thing, that lets you, not my thing, but I think anything that lets you be creative is really restorative. I was just reading an article somewhere on the fact that um, 
doing something creatively every single day actually helps you be more productive in the rest of your work life. So I love that idea. <laughs> so of course it's just fitting in more time for more stuff, but, but I think the creativity aspect is, it's kind of a fun thing to tap into, gets your juices flowing in a different way and then helps you kind of turn your brain off a little bit, hopefully. Yeah, it really does. I had, I had interviewed a friend of mine, Amber Ladley, who, whose company is happily upcycled and she cool. does a lot of like craft working events. So like crafting and networking and oh, like, cool. and bringing, you know, like not super complicated tasks yeah, and, or projects, I should say. So it's like, it, it's not intimidating to the novice crafter, which is kind of where I'm at. Like, yes, I can make envelopes or I can stamp things, Whoa. but like, you know, I'm not, I, that's just, it's not my skill set. There are a lot of things right. in life I'm good at. Right. And, right. you know, paper mache is not one of them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but it's fun to try, right? It's like a nice little escape to try those things. Yeah. And what's, what's fascinating, you know, what I've learned just sort of informally, you know, knowing Amber is just how much research is being churned out around it. That like, yeah. you know, these adult coloring books and paint nights aren't bullshit. Like right, they are actually right. fundamentally doing something good for us. Right. Well, it's like all the research about children and music, right, in schools. And then yes. like how being musical as a child will like spark different areas of your brain. Like it's so, it's so true. One of the things I'm going to try in the new year, hopefully, is calligraphy. That's my new thing. I would like love to be able to write on an envelope in like maybe not full calligraphy, let's not get crazy, but like just in a way that looks really nice and isn't just like my crappy handwriting, you know? So I think I saw there was like a calligraphy, I follow some calligraphy people on Instagram and there's like a calligraphy starter kit. So I think that's my next kind of creative outlet. I'm going to start trying to teach myself a little bit of calligraphy. That's awesome. And it's one that it's funny. It was like calligraphy kits were like the things like I was an only child. And so my parents yes. would get me these art kits and calligraphy things were like, I'm sure my parents got me these things for Christmas in the hopes that I would entertain <laughs> myself you know, for a while right. and stop like asking them questions. Cause I'm sure my questions drove them nuts too. Right. And so, yeah, like calligraphy has been like a lifelong, like oh, I love thing it. for me. And that was when I started moving towards becoming a health coach and sort of it my start was Pilates I actually paid uh, for my Pilates course by doing wedding invitations for women in New York wow oh that's my dream forget so. it forget <laughs> it you're you're way advanced that's like that's the coolest I think that is just the I I just love the idea like any repetitive but creative task I think is so relaxing and so like addressing envelopes to me just sounds amazing. It really does. And if you can do it in a nice way, like I love doing it just for like holiday cards and stuff, but it's my, again, my crappy handwriting, but to be able to do it in a way that like looks beautiful and you feel accomplished and it's just like a nice kind of zone out creative task. I love that. And it's, yeah. And if, if you are a productivity junkie, like there is like, you're actually you know, you are doing, doing something. something. You're addressing yes. envelopes. You're yes. you're making something That's look my pretty. Like kind of task is <laughs> like something I can do that I can literally like set aside next to me in a pile and see what I've done. That's just amazing to me. I love that feeling. <laughs> well, and speaking of tasks, like I am always fascinated by how everyone keeps track of their tasks. How do you mm. organize or manage your tasks on a day to day basis? Like, what's your system kind of look like? 
This is a very timely question for me because I just switched over to a new system because before I had to do lists in like 12 different places. Um, I had a Google, I have so many Google docs that are like, I start one day and then forget about, I can't even, I can't even tell you, but I had like a Google doc spreadsheet, a Google calendar, uh, to do list written random to do lists all over the place. Like I love to do list pads and I love stationary of all sorts. So like I, I buy all of them and then I write on them for one day and then I lose them, you know, so that was not working for me <laughs> and it was driving me crazy. And then it's just like, I have more lists in different places and that's another to do, you know, is to like get all those to lists go, together. Yeah. Just, to pull it all together. Yeah. It's just like ridiculous. So I heard about bullet journaling. Um, oh yes. And yeah. And I love the idea that you can like have one, book or journal or whatever you're calling it. And that's like everything in your life lives in that book and that you can be creative with it. Cause that's like bringing in that other aspect that I love is just like doodling or whatever it is, um, that you can do to be creative. So I, I bought one journal and I don't know that I'm doing it right, but I'm not sure there's a right way to do it really. Um, and I loved keeping to-do lists there. So I like I'll keep kind of an overview list. They say to number your pages, which I find to be like groundbreaking because then I have an index and I can actually see what pages I'm writing these lists on because otherwise it's just a huge journal full of (laughs) a a million lists. Yeah. Which is just even more overwhelming. Um, But I'll have like, I have my index and then I'll have like a, basically a year, a year looking ahead of what I hope to accomplish with one client um, or one project and I'll kind of think big picture and then I'll break it down into whether it's monthly or then weekly and then daily, whatever it is I'm, I'm looking for. Um, and that's been really helpful because I just like on every page, there are maybe two days worth of lists for a specific client or project or whatever it is. And I can really see what I have or haven't accomplished and then keep myself accountable. So that's been my new favorite thing. And just having it all in one place, whether it's my personal household to-do list and my work list and my nonprofit, like all of the stuff in one place is just so much easier because um, I don't lose it and I don't start a new list and then lose track of what I'm doing. So that's been really great for me. Nice. Nice. And yeah. what's your favorite tool, app, gadget, or resource? My favorite tool, app, gadget, or resource? Wow, that is such a good question. And and it could be so many different things. Hmm. Well, I've tried a bunch of different apps for productivity, and that hasn't worked. So I don't like any of those. <laughs> um, and I mean, this could be a hammer. This could, you know, it yeah. it, it can be as lo-fi or as hi-fi. Yeah, I'm going to go with a pen. I love <laughs> writing. Like, I hate typing. I mean, it's, you know, it's fine. But like, I really love writing things down. Um, and so that's definitely my favorite tool. I think a pen, I'm going to say, just while we're on the productivity side of my brain after we were talking about bullet lists. Yes, um, yes. I probably threw you with that. And then uh, I also love this uh, Mind Body app, which is like you can find health and wellness places in your area. So it us- uses your location wherever you are. So like if I'm traveling for work, I can find a yoga class um, just by looking on this app and I can book it right on my phone and then that makes me more likely to actually go. Yes. Um, so I really love that because that's great for kind of when I'm all over the place and still want to find a little bit of serenity in my day. 
That's fantastic. Yeah. Especially when you travel, because that just adds an an entirely different <sighs> layer of complication to it, where you're like, totally. where is this place? How long does it take to get there? But the fact yeah. that you're able to just like find the class and book it right. and just like make it happen. Yeah. If I have to Google a yoga class in Nashville or whatever, I'm never going to, that's never going to happen. So it just pops right up and I book it and I love it. I can tell you it didn't happen for me in Nashville because I looked and then there were a ton of places that were walkable yeah, from where I was staying and I couldn't decide which one. And then I yeah. ended up just using the app on my phone and doing a 30 minute class at the gym yes. at the hotel. I love it. <laughs> I was like, ah, fuck it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so these next couple of questions or a few questions are a little bit of a different tact, but I, I think they're important. And I, especially with how much you do for uniting and connecting women and getting them to communicate. I, I'm especially curious to hear your, your thoughts. Okay. And so how would you define being a modern woman? Ooh, that is such a good question. Um, I think being a modern woman is living a life that you feel is authentic and that you feel is fulfilling to you, whatever that means. And I think it changes for all of us over time. Um, but I think, I think being a modern woman is being able to like go to sleep at night and feel good about what you're doing. <laughs> and uh, even though most of the time that's probably feeling a bit overwhelmed by things, um, just like kind of feeling comfortable in your own skin and being able to, to own it and defend it um, and be proud of it. I think that's, I think that's what I would define as, at least success in, in modern womanhood. Got it. And what would you like to see modern women give more of a shit about? Oh, this is a good one because like our current political climate would, uh, would spur me to say, I wish women gave more of a shit about, and I think we do give a good shit about, but I think that <laughs> I wish we could give more, more people could give more of a shit about, um, supporting one another, this is kind of trite, but supporting one another rather than like tearing one another down. And I think it's especially important these days. Um, and like standing up for one another. So rather than just support, like really advocating for one another and, um, for our rights as women, as they are slowly stripped away and, um, really like taking action, like we, you know, we live in this age where we're all posting stuff on social media all the time about what we believe, but, I think it's really important that we all take action um, and really show up for those causes that we believe in, because that's the only thing that really makes a difference at the end of the day. Yes. So true. So true. And it, and, and it can be small things. Like I think oh, people yeah. go from feeling like, well, I'm over here silently doing nothing or just ranting on Facebook. Right. And then, you know, you have to go from there to like, volunteering 20 hours right. a week to your right. favorite no, cause. Yeah. Like yeah. just finding a place on the continuum and saying, I'm going to, you know, I don't have much time this week, but I can call, I can yes. call these senators and I can leave a, a voicemail or I can tell their representative, right. you know, in four, in four simple sentences, my thoughts on a particular issue. Absolutely. And like that it, it need not be so complicated, like just yeah. doing what you can. Totally. Adding more to the to-do list is not helpful, but um, 
yes. certainly acting in, in any way we can to to kind of just move the needle a little bit in a small way for whatever we believe in. And then I want to flip the question on you. What would you like to see modern women give less of a shit about? Oh, hmm. I would say um, our to-do lists <laughs> as we're talking about how we're all more productive uh, with our bullet, stupid bullet journals. Yeah. Just like what we were saying before, just who cares, you know, like, don't worry if your house is a mess, you know, and if you don't feel like doing whatever task you're supposed to do, like, just stop giving so much of a shit about what other people perceive or, you know, what we're supposed to be doing all the time. Because um, at the end of the day, we're, we're not supposed to be doing anything that we don't really want to be doing. It's like, it's a huge waste of time and, and effort and resources. So just not giving so much of a shit about, you know, the constant barrage of things that we're supposed to be doing versus what we actually want to be doing in any given, any given moment. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about what you just said, I have, I have two things. One is I will drop an F-bomb like nobody's business, but the word should is one of the like (laughs) most lethal words out there in the English language to me. It's true. It's It's such a, it's such a killer. And, you know, the other thing is like, did, did you know about my my 33k task list project, which is kind of like my little pet project? Yes, on the side? I love it. Yeah, like I think it's I I am so happy to hear you say that because I think changing the conversation around like what's desire and what's obligation, right. and I mean I'm trying to do it via you know collecting 33,000 yeah. task lists, but it's so important because the the level of just pain and suffering I have heard from women, like just the countless nights, like the, the count of sleepless nights I have heard, like just that metric alone, never mind like the impacts and, and causality and correlation with chronic stress and inflammation. It just like that piece of paper is just it's oh, something it's killer. <laughs> and you know, it's like you said before, like we're all doing all of this stuff and we have our heads down and you, when you don't look up, like that's when you lose time, right? Like we're, we're all losing time if we're not paying attention to what we actually want to be doing. And we have obligations that we have to meet and we have um, responsibilities that we have to take care of. But in the time that you're not doing those things you have to be doing, if you're not doing something you actually want to be doing, like, what is the point? <laughs> you know, exactly. what, what is the freaking point of doing all the stuff we're supposed to be doing if we don't get to do whatever inspires us or, or brings us joy when we're not doing, you know, fulfilling every obligation that we don't have a choice to, to get out of. So absolutely. And here's where I want to hand you the mic. And, you know, we've, we've covered a bunch of different topics, you are doing some seriously amazing work out in the world. If if I hand you the mic and and have you talk to my listeners, okay. what do you most want the Vital Core Salon listeners to know? Um, I think that, I mean, I'm so honored to be on this podcast, and it's so sweet to have you say things like I do so much and um, wear so many different hats. But I think truly that we all feel totally. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's, you know, like the imposter syndrome scenario. I think we all feel like we're never doing enough, no matter how much we're doing. Um, and that I think that 
at every single stage, no matter what you're doing, you always feel that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that that's just like a shared experience. And I haven't met one single woman uh, in my, whether it's in my career, in my personal life or, or with my like advocacy groups, it doesn't feel that. Um, so just that like, we're all in the same boat and, you know, we all wear a million hats and, and just, uh, hopefully that we talk about this stuff more openly and can be more honest with ourselves and each other and, and, uh, kind of get over, you know, the to do's and just, you know, can be more authentic and really tap into what we want to be doing and the lives we want to be living and support one another in that. I think that's really important. So well said. And if women want to learn more about you and your work, I'll, I'll make sure to post the, the links to websites and things like that. But if, if women want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. Um, any of my websites or email, I am, I am reachable. I have mommyinterrupted.org and then 525entertainmentgroup.com. And I have contact info on both of those sites, I think. So Awesome. That's where to find me. Oh, and womenandmusic.org, of course. Yes. You can't forget that. That takes up plenty of your life. Plenty of time. <laughs> Volunteering stuff always seems to take up a lot of time, but it's always the best stuff anyway. So, Well, Nicole, this was amazing. I mean, I remember for years Craig telling me, like, you've got to meet Nicole. She is just incredibly, Aww. incredibly sweet. And, and you have at you. you have lived up to that reputation in my mind ten times over. That's so kind. Well, thanks so much. I think you know it was so fun meeting you. And we have so much in common. I realized when you said you're an only child that might be part of it. <laughs> it takes one to know one. It takes one to know one. <laughs> well, you you rock your calligraphy pens, and Yay. hopefully we get to talk again. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kara. Thanks, Nicole. <laughs> This is Kara again, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. All of today's show notes can be found at levitalcoresalon.com. So that's any names we mentioned, any resources we mentioned. They're all right there, so you don't have to worry about scribbling stuff down. It's already typed out and easily clickable for you. If you dug today's show or even a past show, Please support La Vital Course Salon. One of the best ways you can do that is by going to iTunes and rating and leaving a short review. It literally takes a couple of minutes, but it will help other people find this show. And new shows will be up on the second and fourth Wednesdays of each month. So if you're wondering what that timing is, that's what it looks like. And before I bounce, I want to give a big merci beaucoup to my producer, Craig Snyder, and to Rishi Deer of Elephant Stone for writing, and the High Dials for performing my most excellent theme song and all the music you hear. And don't forget, you deserve a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. Don't let burnout or bullshit slow you down. See you next time. <laughs>